0: You're listening to the Rudd Commentary Podcast.
1: Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I will be your host today on this presentation. With me, as usual, is Jack Herr. Jack, are you here today? I am, and I'm ready to go. Jack is our Capital Markets Associate, and he's going to bring us up to date on the financial markets a little later in the program. But, Jack, we have a very special guest today in part two of our series for entrepreneurs. And I think this is going to be, in my opinion, Jack, probably the most exciting part of this series for those looking to exit their
2: business. Yeah, we're talking about getting paid and... (laughs) And What to do next, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely, which is what a lot of us get into business for, right? Well, before we get started, and uh, just to welcome any of our new listeners, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. For those of you who are not yet familiar with us, we manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in personal investment management, retirement planning, and we also help with the setup and management of employer-sponsored retirement plans. So, Jack, before we get into that topic, why don't you take us into the trading room and update us on what's going on this month?
2: Yeah. The main thing I wanted to talk about was the consumer shift back to in-person shopping. Josh, as a lot of our listeners know, we saw a huge rise in online shopping during the pandemic as people were working from home, they were sheltering in place they couldn't go into stores. So they had to learn how to shop online. Our economy has been moving towards this online shopping for a while now. But I think the pandemic really accelerated some of these things. What this did in the stock market, we're talking about investments is it led to some clear winners, right? We saw companies not come out of nowhere, but some companies that we may not have been aware of have huge revenue growth. And we saw investors pile into their stocks. And we saw some Big performance there. Jack, you know, if I was one of our listeners, I'd be wondering if this is a kind of a temporary rebound, or
1: you think that this has legs?
2: Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about is this summer. We have seen more shoppers return to stores. We've seen a lot of these companies that haven't been reporting earnings. They've been outperforming expectations, these traditional retailers. And what I'm curious of is, is if this kind of holds as we head into back to school season and then holiday shopping, my personal opinion, I think it probably will. A lot of people want to go back to stores. They want to get out again, but also there's some products that we all enjoy. Shopping for in the store, whether it's clothing or some of those specialty retail stores. Josh, I was actually just looking at a sporting goods company that is traditional retail that, that did really good. So I think there's a lot of potential there. And I think this trend could definitely continue.
1: You know, I think you're so right, especially on just the experience getting out and actually shopping. I, I was informed by my 17 year old son that the Fast and Furious franchise is actually on number nine right now. And <laughs> uh, everybody's going out and I guess going out to see that movie. But what I'm wondering and is related to your retail comment is how many times are families going to go out with respect to shopping for clothes or back to school or to the movies my son if he really likes a movie he'll go out and see it two or three times but because of the delta variant and some of the lingering pandemic issues if those buyers are going to go out multiple times or if they're going to pretty much load up one time so that was my question mainly about
2: if this has the legs it's going to be interesting to watch as we move forward yeah and to transition this conversation to the stock market and type of opportunities there. A lot of our listeners know that we frequently talk about the consumer. And the reason we do that is because these consumer trends are so important to the economic growth overall, but also to what companies do, how they react to a certain environment. We've seen a lot of these high valuations and these high growth names during the pandemic that, that I was discussing earlier. And the reality of the situation is that they just may not be able to grow as fast as they did during the pandemic with more people shopping in stores.
1: Absolutely. Or maybe just purchasing a lot of that online. Should my son watch that movie online or go to the theater? You exactly. know, that's, a, that's a big deal right now.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like you were pointing to earlier, CA return to these high quality staple companies. Some may refer to value investments that we shop at on an everyday basis, whether it be in person or maybe more in e-commerce. So just wanted to talk about the investment opportunities there. And that's something that we as advisors will be looking at closely and trying to monitor these trends as we head into the holiday season.
1: So, Jack, I'd now like to introduce our special guest for part two in our series for entrepreneurs, Mike Delito. Welcome, Mike, and thank you for joining us on our program today.
3: Well, thanks, Josh. I appreciate the invite.
1: I know Jack and I are, are very excited to cover these topics. Mike, part one was really for entrepreneurs that were right in the thick of it and and starting a business or figuring out, how to invest in while they were running their business. But this is really different. I know you've got some experience in the exit side of the business and really have just built a great company. So I know our listeners are probably very interested in hearing about you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional background and and really what led you to make that leap from what I'm guessing is a pretty stable job into starting a company?
3: Well, excellent question. I graduated from UCLA School of Medicine back in 1986. And My initial intent was to go into family practice, but my wife at that time had really kind of directed me towards a path of occupational medicine. She was working for somebody who had a direct lead into a position that was being advertised in the oil and gas industry. There was a large oil refinery there in Southern California, and they were looking for some medical folks. So interestingly enough, I applied and and got it, and i worked my way up to medical director over a period of about fifteen years. We relocated to Texas, probably at 14 and three quarter years, because the oil and gas company was consolidating here in Texas and they needed the one of the medical directors there. So we moved there, I think it was December thirty-first of that particular year. And on April Fool's Day, I was driving into work and I heard on the radio that our company was being bought out by a larger oil and gas company, and I actually thought it was an April Fool's joke, and unfortunately, it was not. And the company approached me and and said they wanted to retain me, but they wanted me to move to Chicago. And I said, "No, that's not going to happen." So I decided to leave and uh, do what I kind of did for that company, but to do it on my own and And it was scary for me because I was really not a business person. I was a medical guy. And that's what I knew. So it was really a difficult decision, but it was one that I thought I'd give a go at. And honestly, I'm glad I did.
1: Well, that's very exciting walking us through that and, and telling us that story. I know that you caught my attention there. I'm very interested now. I'm kind of hanging on the edge, wanting to hear a little bit about this business that you started and recently sold. Just you know, a brief history of what you did and kind of what your products and services are and how you became a real competitor in that market.
3: Absolutely. It was a medical consulting company. And what that means is we put together a group of services The flag service was our telephonic case management for injuries, which 25 years ago was just unheard of. Of course, we know of telephonic case management now because of this pandemic. You know, you can't get into your doctor's office, so you call your doctor and you get on the phone with a doctor or nurse, and you tell them your problems, and they diagnose you and treat you. We were doing that 25 years ago. So that was kind of our flag service. But we also did OSHA and DOT mandated physicals. And that consisted of like commercial driver license, physical exams and audiograms for hearing programs, pulmonary function tests, respirator certifications, and so forth. You get the picture. These companies really didn't know how to do that, especially the smaller ones. The larger ones did, but unfortunately they started laying off their medical departments and they started outsourcing. So it was just a perfect segue for me. So when I started, it was something that I didn't really have to struggle really hard with because I had a niche and there was nobody else doing that.
2: And so, Mike, I'm assuming you talked about your wide array of services and everything you did. Was that the primary reason for your business's success in the long run, or do you attribute that to something else?
3: I I think that was part of it. I found that the services that we were providing were really lacking in the industry because of that lack of in-house medical departments. But even those in-house medical departments didn't really have the quality of service that my company was offering. So I focused a lot on customer service, quality of service, but also very important was we were providing significant savings in workers' comp costs. Because a lot of these companies, when they had an injury, they didn't know what to do. They just sent the person to an emergency room, The emergency room would take the person off work for a few days to follow up with their personal physician, and those people just got lost in the system. But we were getting phone calls within minutes of these injured clients. So we were on the phone talking to them, and we could provide our clinical expertise by really triaging them over the phone and determining is this something that we can treat actually over the phone or do we have to send them to a local clinic? And we had contracts with a lot of clinics all over the United States. So we were able to provide that, but we were just really focusing a lot on that workers' comp claim and what we called ocean recordability. And briefly what that meant was when companies would bid for jobs in the oil and gas industry, they would submit contracts. And one of the primary criteria for getting that contract, was how safe your company was in providing that service, whatever it was. And it was measured by how many recordable or lost time injuries you had. And if that number was above two, which was kind of commonplace in the oil and gas industry, you wouldn't get the contract, even if you were the lowest there. Most companies would be actually around five or 10. So we could reduce that number to below two, literally within three to six months, thereby not only allowing them to secure the contract, but it saved them tens of thousands of dollars per year in workers' comp claims. And some of our larger clients, we literally saved them millions of dollars annually. And that was information that we were getting feedback from our clients when we would have kind of a debriefing at the end of the year. So at the time of the sale of my company, I had 140 employees. And we were operating in all 50 states, Canada, Mexico, parts of South America, and a couple of countries in Europe. This company that I started literally was out of my living room with my daughter. And that was about 18 years prior to the South. So it took me 18 years to to get me to that
1: point. That's incredible. I appreciate you walking us through that. What I found interesting also is that the economic value that you were providing your customers was just, it was just measurable and it was a wonderful place to be. You were clearly in the right place at the right time providing a valuable service. I I know our listeners are very excited to hear that and I'm glad you kind of took us in to the size of your company just before the exit, because that's really what our program is about today. And and I know part one I had mentioned to you was about entrepreneurs in the earlier stage, but we'd like to speak to those entrepreneurs that are maybe entertaining an exit from their business you know, sometime, maybe not next year, but sometime in the next five or 10 years, and are, are questioning whether or not that's something that they should be working through or considering whether to move forward with that or not, and really just how to begin the process. And I think also, Mike, how to seek help and and of course you know you were talking about how valuable your services were and i know our listeners may be thinking about how to maximize their value for such a successful business on the sale and uh, how to make sure they're getting what they believe that business is worth so Mike, I think from my perspective, I'd like to hear your thoughts on when might be a good time for a a business owner can start considering whether or not an exit is possible. Was there a, a signpost or was there a time in your business where you thought, you know what, this is a
3: pretty successful business and it's probably worth more than I think it is? Excellent question, Josh. I absolutely loved what I was doing. This was, to me, not a job. Every single day I'd wake up and I just loved what I was doing. But there came a point where I wanted to be able to still be healthy, still be young, and enjoy my retirement. And I wanted to be able to have the finances to do it. So, one of my initial thoughts was turning the company over to my kids because I had all three of my kids and my daughter in law and my nephew and my niece working for the company. And my initial thought was just hand it over to them, but that wasn't going to give me that financial. Stability, I was looking for, so I had to make the decision of selling the company, and and that was a difficult position for me because of my kids. But I do know that it took me some time to decide the right course, the right action, and the right time. And it's not something that you just flip a switch and say, "I think I'll sell my business tomorrow." It, it can take several years looking for that right buyer and for the right price.
2: Yeah. I and mean, Mike, you talk about those steps you have to take and how it all doesn't happen right away. And, and I'm just curious when you initially made the decision, what were some of those first steps you take? Did it take you a while to get through those steps or was it immediate?
3: I don't think so. I, you know, My situation was a little unique in that I placed my business up for sale because of some legal issues I was having with my business partner. And this was going to be the best way to remedy that solution was to essentially sell the company. I kind of wasn't ready to go yet because I still enjoyed what I was doing. But I had made a a pact with myself years and years ago that I would retire at 59 and a half. And ironically, even with all these situations that came up and kind of pushed me into selling, I retired at 59 and a half. So it still, to me, worked out really well. But for me, I needed to find somebody to take over my role as president and CEO to get that company to that next level so that I could sell it for what I wanted it for.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And when you made the decision you wanted to sell and you started looking for the successor, did you end up involving any other professionals, whether it be outside the company or even key employees inside of the company?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. There were actually about four categories, if you will, of professionals that I used. One was somebody who was really experienced in selling companies. I actually found a guy that that's all he does is come into a company and prepare that company for sale. They get all the finances looking absolutely perfect so that they can get the maximum dollars for paying for your buck. Also a lawyer that you could trust. I know that might be an oxymoron for some people, but (laughs) I wanted to make sure that I had somebody that would really have my back. Uh, Of course, financial planner is extremely important. And lastly was a CPA who was familiar with my business. So in my case, that CPA was the company that was doing the taxes for my company for the last several years. So it was somebody who was very familiar with the business. And I utilized every one of those professionals for the sale.
1: Mike, I know that some of our listeners may be thinking about valuation and how you started to approach that. And we get that question a lot in in our role here at the Rudd Company. Can you share with us, and not specific, I'm not looking for specific valuation, but just how you began to start that process? um, Was it surprising that the initial numbers you were starting to see and which one of those professionals really helped with that?
3: Um, I actually hired a company that specializes in valuations of companies. And interestingly enough, I valued my company twice. One was early on because I was putting together a living trust at that time, and I wanted to have the business, obviously, part of that trust. So I needed to have a valuation done of the business. And that was beneficial because at that time, it was still somewhat early on in the business I was wearing a lot of hats. And one of the things that came out of that valuation was that if I got hit by a bus, the company would fold. And so it really opened my eyes to start delegating and having those key employees in place so that if in fact I stepped away or had a heart attack or whatever, I had people in place that could keep that business going. And then the second time I had it valued was when I was looking for that replacement president and CEO so that I could have a number that I was sharing with him, the number I was looking to sell for, and kind of a financial incentive for him to say anything over this number, you will get a percentage of.
1: Well, thank you very much. That that was a lot of good information that I know is very valuable to our listeners I'm also interested to know, you know, a lot of times with these sales, it's not just key individuals such as yourself. I mean, as we've talked about many times, and you know that the founder and president and CEO often holds a lot of value for the company just in what they've created and processes. But were there any intellectual property assets or other key assets, contracts, customers, anything else that impacted the value of your company?
3: Well, I think one of the the biggest intellectual properties that I had for the company was a software program that I wrote. It was something that I actually started on before I was writing software programs for companies to help them manage a variety of tasks in their company, whatever it may be, vacation or workers' comp injuries and so forth. So when I started with my business... I actually took a program that I already had and I just amped it up on steroids. So this was a program that kind of evolved over years. And when I had that final valuation done, the valuation of that intellectual property, that software program, believe it or not, came in at a really large sum. And we're talking well into the seven figures. And it really held the company together. It At a push of a button could provide a remarkable amount of resources, not only to the employee, but to our clients as well. When I got ready to sell the company, I made it very clear up front that the software program did not come with the company, that they would have to purchase that separately. And one of their biggest mistakes was believing that they could replace that program for as little as $50,000. And as I mentioned, it was a seven-figure value. And so what they did was they leased my program while they were creating that replacement. And after about two and a half years and two and a half million dollars, they finally had that final product that didn't do anything near what mine did, according to the feedback that I got from some of my employees. And I was asking for a fraction of what they spent for that and it was just a decision they made i thought it was a poor one but hindsight is always 2020
1: Mike, that's extremely valuable. I know our listeners out there really appreciate that because a lot of the questions we get, it's all about some multiple of sales or earnings or you know whatever the metric is that the CPA is suggesting at that time. And a lot of the times those assets, especially intellectual property, really go unnoticed and are undervalued. So I think for a lot of our entrepreneurs out there that have put that time in, because Mike, it sounds like that program really represented a more tangible measure of the hard work that you put in over years and years and years. I think it's wonderful that that was realized at some point, whether or not it was physically paid out as you had walked us through that story. But the valuation was unquestioned and very real. So I would encourage our listeners who are valuing their company or thinking about that not to skip on the intellectual property and some of those repeatable systems that they have built. Because as you talked about, that was the issue earlier with you personally in the organization, you know, and, and I'm sure that they told you to to make sure that those processes were repeatable and to get that other executive in there. I am interested in jumping a little further into some of the options, and I, I don't know how much you remember or if it was really familiar, all the options that you had. But what are some of the sale options that you looked at for the company and which option, just in a general sense, did you ultimately go with? I mean, what type of company, you know, ended up buying your firm and what were some of the options that were available?
3: Well, you know, this being my first and only company that I founded and sold or were preparing to sell, I really didn't know what to expect. I wanted a full cash offer. I, I didn't know other options out there because really none were presented other than the CEO who I hired came in and said, I have a full cash offer for you. This is what the amount is. And it was actually a private equity company that bought my business. And there were definite pluses and minuses to that. I really didn't want another medical company to buy my company because there were a lot of companies that started mimicking mine because they saw how successful we were and the reputation we had was unprecedented in the industry and i didn't want all that hard work that i put into this to go down the toilet because another medical consulting company bought us out so i thought that a private equity company although probably wanting to cut costs and and that could kind of affect the quality of service i still felt that they would be true to what i put in there and the fact that my children stayed with the company. And my daughter and my son actually were with me when I founded the company. So they had some knowledge that was unprecedented with any other employee that I had because they were there in the inception. So they could share with the new company on the things that we did and why and some things that we didn't and why.
2: Oh, yeah, that, that sounds like a great transition. And um, I had a question more on the personal side of things. You've talked about the transaction itself and the company, but what were some of your major financial concerns as you went through the sale process? I know you talked about 59 and a half was always the retirement date that you were working towards, and I commend you for reaching that goal, but you know, I'm, I'm sure you had some financial concerns along the way, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. I had a couple. Uh, once the price came in, it, it actually came in at 50% higher than what it was valued at. So one of my concerns initially before we got that offer was, is it going to be enough money for me to retire on and not have to work? But that ultimately never even crossed my mind after the initial price came in, and we even negotiated, and I got a little bit more. But the couple issues that I still had was how much of that money was going to be taxed by the government, because I really relied on my CPA a lot to try to determine the best way to put this deal together so that the government wouldn't take you know half of, of what the sale price was, and the other was up front, I knew that I wanted to donate 10 percent of the sale price of my company to some charities that I held near and dear to my heart, and I didn't want to receive all of that money from the sale, have it taxed, and then turn around and donate it. Uh, Working with my financial planner and my attorney, we set up what's called a charitable remainder unitrust, abbreviated CRUT, and that allowed those monies to go directly to the charities before coming through me and being taxed. So that was huge for me and a tremendous amount of savings on taxes. And I was still able to use that as a charitable donation. So that worked really well. And I highly recommend that to anybody who is interested and looking to use some of their sale monies to their charities of choice. Well, Mike, I appreciate
1: that. And we probably should have had you on our podcast for charitable giving as well. (laughs) <laughs> it's very valuable. Uh, and I appreciate that. And like Jack said, you know, you were planning that exit and to coincide, I think, with a retirement date that you had in your mind for many years. But what I, I think some of our listeners are probably interested in is what about now? Have you considered starting another business or are you just gonna use this opportunity to continue your retirement and doing the personal things that you enjoy?
3: Well, I had an opportunity that presented itself about a year after I retired. About going into another business. And it was completely outside of the medical consulting because I had a five year no compete that I had to sign. So it had to be something completely different. And honestly, I really had zero interest in starting a business from scratch or even acquiring another business. I wanted to enjoy my retirement. One of my big hobbies is I'm a scuba instructor and have been since 2010. I do a lot of scuba instruction. I, I lead scuba diving trips all around the world, and I absolutely love that. And my beautiful bride loves it as well, so we get to do something together. We also have nine horses. She's teaching me how to ride. I'm learning how to show these horses at horse shows, and I'm more busy now than I probably was when I was a president and CEO of my company. So I just loving my retirement and have no interest in starting from scratch or even working other than something that I really enjoy doing like scuba diving.
1: Mike, there are very few things that equal being underwater and how much quiet and peace it is under there, isn't it?
3: Absolutely.
1: I really appreciate you spending the time on our program today. I can't tell you how valuable this was for myself, Jack, and and our team up here, and also all the listeners that we have, our clients. And I have to ask, do you have any advice for an entrepreneur that Imagine they're five to 10 years out, their business is, is really getting much bigger than they thought, and they think they're maybe a, a little too young for retirement, but are starting to think about uh, the possibilities of an exit. Do you have any advice you can give them to work through that, wrap their mind around that, and and if they decide to, possibly even make that process a little easier?
3: Sure. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I'm I'm really lucky that I sold my business when I did. And I say that because look at how things change in our country. We're in the middle of a pandemic now. Some businesses are thriving while others are closing their doors, and it's just such a challenging time now. So if you're closer to that one- to two-year time frame, I would highly encourage looking sooner rather than later, and for those in five- to ten-year, kind of stick it out a little bit.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Mike. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate the contribution to our program, Mike.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was it was really enjoyable and I appreciate the invitation.
1: Jack, that was a great discussion, a lot of value, and I'm sure our listeners agree it's just very special to have somebody with his experience on the program today and walk us through that exit. Jack, one of the things that I I took away from this discussion with Mike was the planning that he did. He started thinking about that process early, and I heard him say that several times during his program. You know, if you're thinking about this, you want to start planning now that the process sounded like took him a little longer than he thought it would. Was there anything that you walked away with today from that conversation with him?
2: Definitely the planning as well, but Also, both entrepreneurs brought up the importance of having a a strong team of professionals around them when they're going through this process. So whether it be attorneys, accountants, and most importantly, financial advisors, I'd welcome all of our listeners to start to build that team and, and to reach out to us if they need any help with these type of things.
1: Absolutely. That's something we do acting as a business owner's financial advisor through that process. It's not only something that we do, but it's something that our team really enjoys here. Uh, We enjoy that process. We enjoy helping those individuals work through those objectives, set goals, and plan for a successful exit. And then also being the financial quarterback, if you will, through that process with the other professionals. It's it's really something that our team just has a passion for, and uh, we enjoy doing it. Jack, I think that puts a nice bow on our two-part series for entrepreneurs, hopefully those of you that— are thinking about starting a business or in a business or possibly thinking about an exit got some value out of the last two programs we'd love to talk to you if you need any assistance please contact us if there's anything we can do to help and thank you to all of our listeners for taking the time to listen today and as always if you enjoyed this program please subscribe to the red commentary on apple itunes google play or your preferred podcast platform and never miss an episode Also, if you know other investors that would enjoy this program, please share the Rudd Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also like feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we would sure enjoy hearing from you. All of us here at the Rudd Company would like to thank you, our listeners and our clients for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in your long-term financial journey. We take this role very seriously. Thank you very much for listening today. This is the Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at the Rudd Company, invest long and prosper.
0: This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.